Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. I love being married. We love, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to marry people because we believe in marriage. Here's the beautiful thing. God loves your marriage. God believes in your marriage. Uh, God fights for your marriage. God created marriage. So it was his idea. You know, in the book of Genesis, we see God creates the heavens and the earth, the very first book of the Bible. And everything he created, he said was good. There was only one thing that God said in the beginning that wasn't good and that it was that man would be alone. So in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says this, then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I like that word. I will make a helper who is just right for him. If you look at the original language of that that verse, that word helper in Hebrew means to supply that which is lacking. So what God is saying is he's saying, Adam, I'm going to give you somebody who is not better than you or less than you. I'm giving someone to you that is different than you and they are actually gonna add to your life. He says to Eve, Eve, I'm going to bring you to somebody and this person is not going to be better than you or less than you. They are different than you are, but they are going to add to your life. And marriage is meant to be something that adds to your life. It's supposed to add that which is lacking. It's supposed to be something that's a source of strength and hope. It's supposed to be a source of peace, a source of security. Uh, It is supposed to be something that creates a foundation for you and your family where your children would discover and their identities would be shaped, where generational callings would be built and furthered in your marriage. That's what marriage is supposed to be. That's, how God, that's why God created it. And when, here's what we're going to learn about in this series. When you see marriage the way God sees it and you treat marriage the way God says to treat it, it becomes that thing that adds to you. It becomes that thing that is a source. But I think for some of us, uh, we look at our marriage or our past marriages and it's the exact opposite. It was not something that has given to our lives. It was something that took from our lives. And it wasn't a source of peace and love and joy. It was a source of pain and regret, shame, betrayal. And so what we want to do in this series, we want to see marriage the way God sees it. We want to treat marriage the way God treats it. And we're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. We're going to learn and we're going to be healed in the process. And so if you got your Bibles, you're going to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 is going to be our main verse uh, of this series. And as you turn there, uh, can I talk to a couple of specific groups in the house this morning? First of all, to our single people, our single ready to mingle, where are your, my free agents? You want to wave at me? Wave and look around. I'm doing wave and look around. Wave and look around. Look a lot. Check, check it out. See what, what are we working with this morning? Okay. Just go ask her to get an acai bowl or something, young man. It's all right. It's not a marriage proposal. It's just a coffee. To my singles, can I say this? This series is for you. Here's what I've learned and I've observed right now, that culture, and we do have an enemy. His name is Satan. He's the devil. He exists. We, we want to talk about him. We don't want to give him too much power because he does, has none, but we want to be aware of his existence. They are, he is preparing you for marriage right now. He's just preparing you for a marriage that's horrible, destructive, and a marriage that's dysfunctional. And so for us, we believe that God wants to prepare you now for your marriage, a marriage that's helpful and strong and healthy, not perfect, but one that's going to honor God and it's going to add to your life. So you are being prepared right now for marriage. Uh, Let's just, we want to do our part and prepare you for whether that is a year from now, some of you are praying six months from now, or it's a couple years away. 
Let's prepare for the right thing. So this series, uh, Young Single Person, is for you. If you are married for a while and you're a vet, this series is for you. Here's the things we learn about marriage. Marriage is something that if you stop working on it, it doesn't stay the same. It gets worse. The book of Proverbs, chapter 24, I think it's verse 30, and this wise man says, he says, hey, I've come upon the field of a lazy person, and that field now is overgrown with weeds, and there are thorns, and the wall has been torn down. And he said, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of a hands to rest, and poverty comes on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. What he's saying is there are things in life that when you neglect them, they regress. They don't stay the same. You know, prior to the great rainfall of 2022, 2023 in California, right, my backyard was probably a lot like yours. It was a dust bowl, right? There was more dirt than there was grass, right? And I never once woke up in the, middle, in the morning, looked over my backyard and went, Gabby, why is there no grass in our backyard? Like, why is, I, I don't understand why there's no grass. I mean, maybe we're just not meant to have grass. Like, maybe this house has just run out of grass. You know what, Gabby, you know what I think? Maybe we should move to another house because if we move to another house, maybe that'll have grass. And I think that's our answer. No, I don't have grass because I don't water it. If you don't water grass, it doesn't grow. If you don't put oil in your car, it will eventually blow up. If you don't work on your marriage, it'll eventually regress. So here's the thing. If you're married right now and you're thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, let's commit to just water our own grass. You know what I'm saying? Let's water our own grass. It'll grow. Just gotta work. So this series is for you, vet. For those of you that, and we talk about in this series, you're going to feel some conviction in this series. It will. Um, for you, Hebrews 12.9 says, God disciplines those he loves. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to raise the standard of what marriage is. And it's not a standard of man. It's the standard that God sets in front of us. And when you see the standard that God sets in marriage and how you're to respond, whether you are married or not married, you're going to begin to see truth come into your life. And when the truth of God comes into an area of your life where it's maybe dead or broken or malformed, uh, you're going to feel a conviction. And you're going to see where you have fallen short. And that's okay because God disciplines those he loves. What we have to be careful about is many times when you sit in, in, in a church service and you hear the word of God communicated, uh, it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit because he's present, he's here. He's what takes the word of God and makes it come alive. You have to be careful that you don't label that a judgment of man because that's sometimes what we do so we don't have to deal with it. We go, oh, that's just man judging me. That's the church judging me. That's Michael judging me. And then we can push it off. But it's not Michael's opinion. I'm not going to tell you what I think about marriage. I'm going to read the Bible, and the Bible is going to tell us what marriage says. And so with that, potentially could come some conviction from the Holy Spirit. But what that is, it is life coming back into you. Like if you ever had, like you ever woke up in the middle of the night and your arm was weird and it's fallen asleep, why? Because like blood is no longer rushing to your arm. So then you move it and all of a sudden it does, but it starts to hurt. Why? That's not a bad thing. That means blood, life is coming back to that area of your life. And so truth is gonna flood your life today. It's gonna flood your life this month. And the Bible says you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. So some of you, you are bound in not a great perspective and understanding of marriage. Some of you are captive to a generational curse of divorce and adultery. And guess what? The truth of God's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to do what he, only he can do in your life. And so when you get that, what you do is, see, God doesn't judge us. He convicts us. Because when I get conviction, what happens when I feel? Then I come to God and go, God, this is, what do I do with this? God, I feel this way. You repent. We humble ourselves. And God says, when you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. So come with that feeling to God. Don't run from him. Don't label it. This is for you. Come on, God disciplines those he loves. 
It's going to happen. It's going to be good. And those of you, last group, before we get into Hebrews 13, those that are feeling hopeless, you're in trouble and you feel it. Uh, there's still hope. There's still hope. The reason why we called this series Held and Healed is one, we want to hold marriage in a perspective and light that God does. Yes, we're going to help you in this series. We're going to give you some great handles on like how to make your marriage better and how to work on it. But there's some of you, you don't just need help, you need healed. Some of you from divorce, you need healed. Some of your marriages, you're at a place where you feel like, I don't think this is going to work anymore. You need healed. And we're believing that in this process, the Holy Spirit's gonna do something supernatural. And it's happened in our church, story after story of couples who said, this is done, I'm over. Uh, I've contacted the lawyer. We're getting the paperwork going, yet God can do anything. God does the impossible, right? He makes a way where there seems to be no way. So series is for you. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read it together. Verse four. This is going to be fun. Here it is. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Say it with me. Say all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Welcome to City Church, California. <laughs> all you sexually immoral and adulterers have got something special for you. It's called God's judgment. You will find that in our Connect Lounge. Uh, once you leave this service, it's in the lobby. Um, that's intense, right? Call it what it is. I mean, this is one of those verses that there's certain verses in the Bible when I read it, I, I read it quickly because I don't want it to really settle in me. <laughs> Whoa, God judging the sexually immoral and the adulterer. It, it's there, it's in the Bible. God said it, it's there. We're going to talk about it. Uh, so let's take it piece by piece, step by step. But I'm gonna say this actually, in this verse, there actually is a lot of hope in this verse. And by the time we get to the end of this, you're going to discover some really cool hope in this verse. But let's look at the first part first, right? It says, and this is speaking to Christians, marriage is to be held in honor among all. It's using verbiage and words, and it's saying this, like marriage is something that's very, very special, it's something that's not ordinary. Marriage was never meant to be common. You are supposed to treat this thing like it is uh, special. It is, um, it's not plastic wear. It is fine china. Like it is something to be honored, something to be held a certain way that it is, it's special, it's set apart. And the reason why it speaks to that part first, I think, is because how you see something, how you hold something dictates how you treat it and how you handle it. Right, so in my house right now, uh, because we have four small children, I really hold nothing with high honor. <laughs> because we're a, we're a baseball, a football, a dart away from it just getting destroyed. I think it's the way I cope and, and you know, handle my house. You know what I mean? It's just like, at any point, that lamp, even though my wife has done an incredible job decorating and designing our home, uh, at any point, something could be smashed. You know, it's just the way it is. My girls are into makeup right now, and right now I walk through, our, our house and there's just makeup smudges on walls, like randomly, like, what is this? What's happening right now? Like my car, I hold it with no honor because there's so many dings from my children hitting my, opening their door and hitting my car door with it. It's just like, ah, I don't care anymore. <laughs> the only thing I hold with honor is my golf clubs and I hide them from those jokers. <laughs> so they want, and I know they want a piece. That's in my car. Pastor Mike, are you always in your car because you always want to golf? No, it's just I want to protect them. I hold them in high honor, so I hide them. No, but that's the truth, right? How you see, so what he's saying, he's saying, hey, marriage is supposed to be something that's held such in high honor, such respect that you are, you guard it, you protect it, you esteem it. And it actually says that marriage should be held among all, 
all. So that word in the Greek means all. Like it doesn't matter who you are, single, married, it doesn't matter what we should teach our children. Hey, this marriage is something very special. It's set apart. It's a gift from God. It's not common. It's something unique. It's of high value. It's of high value. And because it's of high value, it should be treated. It should be talked about. It should be seen as something as that. Well, it goes on. It doesn't stop there. It says to be held in high honor and that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Marriage bed, it's an idiom. It's a phrase that means sex. And saying sex is to be undefiled. Well, how does sex undefiled when it happens outside the context of marriage? That's why these verses are, that's why this verse is connected. It attaches sex to marriage. The marriage is to be held in such high honor and esteem, understanding that as a result of that, that sex happens in the context of marriage. And when it is not, it defiles it. One translation, the message paraphrase says to guard the marriage bed. That actually it's something to be guarded, not something to be mishandled or handled lightly. It's not something to be used as a weapon or manipulation. It is actually something that you're supposed to guard and protect. Marriage, when seen the way God sees it. So there are approaches that we are to have to marriage. That when we have this approach, it will honor marriage. It guards and protects the marriage bed. And as a result, it allows marriage to be what it was meant to be. The thing that, that adds to us, the, the, the thing that becomes an anchor for us, a source of life. But there are also approaches where we dishonor marriage and we make light of it and we make it common. We make sex common and we make light of it. And as a result that, of dishonoring that, then it opens up our marriage for dysfunction and pain and hurt. So our heart and our goal is, okay, what's the approach that God wants us to have? And so for our conversation, I want to just highlight three general approaches that we can have to marriage. And let me just give you a heads up. Only one of them is God's approach. But here are the three I want to talk about. Maybe you're going to find yourselves in those. One is the uh, casual approach to marriage. Uh, one is the contractual approach to marriage. And then one is the covenant approach to marriage. So we have a casual approach. We have a covenant approach. And then there is the uh, contract approach. So let's talk about casual for a second. Some of us, and maybe again, this is how you grew up. You don't know any better. This is what you've seen modeled. This is not a, again, a judgment on you. I get it. This is what you see modeled in front of you at home, or you didn't see anything modeled in front of you at home, or this is what you see kind of on the media and what we see highlighted and what we see glorified. Uh, so this just is what it is. So it is this casual approach is this, that really marriage is really nothing. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Like, that's it. It's a piece of paper. It's standing in front of an old dude who's just going to say some words, and then you get to get mom off your back because you finally got married, and it's just not that big of a deal. It's just a piece of paper. It's nothing. And the thing is, if marriage is not a big deal, then sex is not a big deal, right? What's the point, right? It's not a big deal. If marriage isn't a big deal, then sex isn't a big deal, and so we can just do it with whoever and whatever. It doesn't really matter because if marriage isn't a big deal, then sex isn't a big deal, and if marriage isn't a big deal and sex isn't a big deal, then why not just move in together, right? Because what's the point? None of it matters. It's not that big of a deal. If I love them, I care about them. Like, couldn't we just kind of give this thing a test drive anyways? Like, see if this puppy works? Like, see if we're really vibing? Like, are we soulmates? I don't know. I won't know, Mike, until I live with them, you know? And so, so we do that, right? We, we say, well, and have you noticed, Mike, uh, we live in Southern California, kind of expensive, so it's just fiscally smart to split bills and to live it. I get it. It is. It's expensive. So if it's a casual approach, it really doesn't matter. It's just paper. So what we do then is we kind of begin to operate in this rhythm where we, we find someone we like and maybe even love. 
So we move in together, right? And so we bring our toothbrush. We do what married people do. We bring our toothbrush, we bring our clothes, right? We, 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 we split the bills, we split a sandwich, and we just do life, right? And then what happens? It's not working out. So we break up, right? So then we take our toothbrush, we take our clothes, unless it ended poorly, then maybe your clothes got burned in the backyard. I don't know <laughs> how that works. Maybe thrown out a window, maybe. Uh, some of you have been there, right? And so what happens? Then we just find somebody else and we do it again, right? Okay, I think I love this person. You know, come on, let's test drive it. Let's, it's not a big deal, so let's, I'll bring my toothbrush again, I'll bring my clothes, we split the bills, we split a sandwich, and then it doesn't work out, and I move out again. And then there comes that person, you actually find it, boom, you are, you are in love. I mean, this is the person, they have awakened something in you. Every song on the radio now makes sense, <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, and now finally I'm going to get married because this is the person. And so you get married and then you do what married people do. You bring your toothbrush, you bring your clothes, you split bills, but then all of a sudden something happens. And have you ever heard this phrase that when you're single, opposites attract, but after marriage, opposites attack, right? So the thing that was endearing to you is now the thing that makes you want to smother them in their sleep. Oh, he's just so laid back and chill. I mean, he's such a yang to my yang. And I just love his vibe and his energy. And then you get married. And you're like, that dude's a bum. He doesn't get up. He doesn't have a job. He only plays video games. You know, like, right? Oh, I love her. She's so good. She's organized. She's driven. Man, I need that in my life. And then you get married. It's like, this chick won't get off my back. Man, I married my mother. Like, what happened? It happens, right? She squeezes the toothpaste wrong. They set up the toilet paper. It's over, not under. I'm taking crazy pills right now. That's what happens, right? But here's the difference now, you're married. But here's, you've developed this soul rhythm that, hey, we get together, we move in together, and guess what? If it doesn't work out, we, we, we break up. Only this time you're married. So for the longest time, my life gets lived where I've been pretending to be married. I've been kind of playing house, but now that I'm married, I'm gonna practice divorce, right? And so this is what happens. That is not God's approach to marriage. Some of us, we have the approach, we call it, it's a contract approach, right? Have you ever had a contract? Contracts are, are created and they're based on uh, a common, uh, just a equal mistrust. Like, I don't know you, you don't me, but we're gonna enter into some sort of deal. So we're gonna keep ourselves like safe and we're going to establish a contract where we're gonna lay out, this is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're supposed to do. And as long as we're doing our, our thing together, we're good. But if you stop, then I'm out. Or if I'm stopping, you're out. Right, like I, I rent a home, right? I don't know our owner, I've never met them. I don't really trust them. They don't know me, they don't trust me. So we have a contract that says that, hey, every month, at the first of the month, I'm gonna pay a certain amount of money and you're gonna let me live there. But the moment I stop paying, then uh, I get to be kicked out, right? So sometimes our approach to marriage is that. It's uh, marriage is 50-50. Like I'm in as long as she's in. And I'm in as long as he's in. And there's very, like, we, we play our part in our role, but the moment you stop doing your part, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Or I'm not, I'm withholding. You know, when we're in a contract approach, sex becomes something that's a chip that's played, something that's withheld, something that's held over somebody. Because, hey, if you're not doing it, then it's gone. And we generally know who's the one withholding. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a strike. Let's just call it what it is. You know what I mean? It ain't the men withholding. I promise you that right now. None for you tonight, sweetheart. You're not getting it. <laughs> yeah, you wish. And if that is you, let me shake your hand after service. I want you to pray. We'll pray for me. Just pray for me. 
But that's the truth, right? I mean, some of us, that's how we approach it. It's just contractual. It's like, hey, hey, I'm in. But the moment you stop like bailing and the moment you stop, you know, having a bad day or a bad week, a bad month, and like, then there's the problems for the marriage right there. So God's approach isn't one that's one of casual. It's not a contract. It's one of covenant. Let me read you what he speaks of. I'm gonna read in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is asked a question about marriage. And so he actually quotes what God said in the book of Genesis It says, have you not read, it's verse four, chapter 19, verse four, it says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's covenantal language for God. It speaks of covenant. Two parties coming together, being joined together as one. Common uh, sacrifice, sacrificial love, uh, common trust, common commitment. Two parties becoming one. That's covenantal for one goal, one purpose. Covenant relationship based on mutual commitment. Whereas contract says we're 50-50, Covenant says we're 100, 100. I'm all in. I'm all in whether you are anymore or not. And whether you had a bad week, bad month, bad year, and you're not doing your part, it does not dictate the terms of how I'm going to act in this relationship because we're in covenant. So I'm gonna give you my very best no matter what. I'm gonna give you my very best whether I feel like giving you my very best or not because the covenant's not based on feelings. It's based on a commitment that I have made to my spouse. And so guess what, baby? I'm, I'm in. This is covenant to God. We are one flesh. I give you everything. I'm in it 100% no matter what. By the way, that's the relationship God has with you and me. It's covenantal. He's all in. We'll talk about that more. But whether you are in or you are not out, it does not change God's position in your life. He's all in. So whether you are mishandling your marriage or how you handle sex is, is, does not change the fact that God is still all in with you. He's a covenantal God. It's based on sacrificial love. Like there was a sacrifice, a covenant back in the day to seal a covenant back in the day, you would actually be a sacrifice or a shedding of blood that would seal and say, this thing is now holy. It is set apart. It's different than a contract. These people are coming together for something. So back in the day when a young Hebrew man and young Hebrew young lady would get married as part of the ceremony, at one point, the priest would cut, put a little cut on, on the palm of the bride and the groom. And then he would join their hands together, mingling the blood. And it was a sign of like, because Leviticus says that the life is in the blood. And then he would tie the hands together and it would begin to signify what was beginning to happen, that there were two people, but they were beginning to be joined together in the eyes of God as one flesh. And then the ceremony would end and then the bride and the groom would go into what's called the chupa, which was the bridal suite. And it was in the bridal suite that they would consummate their marriage and everybody else would wait till it was done. (laughs) Awkward. Awkward. Now, hopefully, if they were virgins, this one lasts very long, and then, you know, <laughs> guy comes out, hey, buddy, keep your chin up. It'll get better. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all right. Judgment. <laughs> Laughing because it's true. You know it. So then, so, but what would happen in this bridal suite? They would come together. There would be a shedding of blood. And what would happen is is it would demonstrate what was happening in the spirit realm. 
two people becoming one flesh, entering into a covenantal relationship, and then they would go and we'd have a party and it'd be great. That's what we're talking about with covenant. There is this combining of two people, fully committed, based on sacrificial love, and we're no longer two, but we're one. This is what makes sex more than just what it's made out to be. See, sex isn't just about reproduction, though God made it that way, and that is a part of it. Sex isn't just about pleasure, though he didn't make it that way, and that's a part of it. Thank you, Jesus. But sex does something else. It bonds two people together. It begins to make something happen in a spirit realm that's sovereign and special and holy. And you're no longer just two people in the eyes of God. What's beginning to happen in your soul, your spirit, is you're becoming one with that person. So it would make sense that if it's someone you aren't married to and you begin to tear that apart, how it would leave wounds and scars and it would open and you'd feel vulnerable for a while. And sometimes after so long though, it begins to scar up and now we feel nothing. Now God can bring feeling back. But we have to understand why that happens and how we get there. So covenant is something that is meant to be, it creates marriage to be something that's very, very foundational. Again, something that is built on something you can rely on. There's, there's this idea in marriage, I mean in covenant, where they call it the four pillars of covenant. And they call it the rules, the roles, the responsibilities, and the rewards. And so there are, in covenant, there are roles that we are to play, that there are roles that the husband and wife are to play within the marriage, and God defines those. Those aren't defined by man, God defines those. We see those in scripture. There are rules that they are to rule and to protect and guard and to operate into in this covenantal relationship, like keeping the marriage bed holy and undefiled. There are rules that God implements and puts in place for this covenantal relationship. There are responsibilities that each party are to play, have a part to play in this, that no one just doesn't do anything, that we all have responsibilities in this relationship. And there are these beautiful rewards that happen. And like a chair that has four legs, each pillar creates a foundation so that marriage is something that is very, very solid. It's not perfect, never will be perfect because we're not perfect, we're humans, we make mistakes and sometimes we can say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Can I hear an amen from some husbands? And you really don't want to say it and you know you shouldn't say it, but it's just like word vomit. It comes out. You know what I mean? And so that happens. That's not what we're going for here. We're not going for perfect marriages here. We're wanting to have marriages that are held in the right perspective and ones that are healed. And seeing the covenantal approach gives it this way. Now, contractual or uh, casual approaches want the rewards of marriage, but don't really want the rules, responsibilities, or the roles. So like a chair that's only got one or two legs, now what happens is we try to rely on that relationship. We try to rely on that, that marriage and in wonder it falls and caves in and on itself because it's meant to be held in a covenantal approach. Does that make sense? So that's what God's desire is for our heart, for our lives, that we would see marriage this way, that it is honored when we see it as one that is of covenant. Two people becoming one flesh. As a result, I guard and I protect the sex that is had, that, that's in my life and that, that happens within those contexts. So here, marriage is a big deal to God. He created it. He established it. He defines it. It's a big deal. And it, and it goes on and we know it because here it is, the end part of chapter, chapter 13, verse 4. It says, God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer. What does that mean? He's speaking to Christians here. First of all, the, the, the book's speaking to Christians and it speaks to the accountability of stewardship in this area of your life. 
See, here's the thing we have to understand about God. This, this life of following Jesus isn't just like, hey, I believe and that's it. Now I'm just waiting till it's my time or Jesus comes back. Like this isn't a waited out kind of game. No, understanding this, that scripture speaks of stewardship all throughout scripture. That God, has, what, God what you do with what God has given you now matters to him. We call it stewardship. You know, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus would tell a parable of the talents and he'd say there was a master and he had these three servants and he gave each of them an amount of money and then he went away on a trip and when he came back, he held them accountable and he judged them for what they did or what they didn't do with what he had given them. That's a story to Christians. Those are stories that people who follow Jesus. In other words, he's saying, listen, God has given you so much. He's given you a calling. He's given you a purpose. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you finances. He's giving you a marriage. He's giving you your purity. He's giving you your children. And what you do with them now matters to him. And one day I will stand before God and he will judge me not on, uh, not on my works of whether I earned salvation or not because all of the judgment of my sin went on Jesus Christ at the cross. What he's going to judge me on is Michael, what did you do with what I gave you though? What did you do with the marriage that I gave you? And he speaks to it in the two, the two terms here, immoral and adulterous, the two groups of people. Those, the immoral are those that are not married. They're doing things that only married people should be doing. And the adulterous are those that are in a committed marriage relationship but are going outside of marriage to do things that only should happen in the context of marriage. So he covers the gambit of who this is. And he says, listen, at one, at one point in time, there'll be an accountability for what we do. But here's the hope, and this is where I want you to catch it. Someday that will happen. But that means then you can change now. There's still time to change now. It's not too late. Yeah, one day I will be held accountable, but you know, today I can make a decision to change. Today you can make a decision to see marriage the way God sees it. Today you can make a shift from contract to covenantal, from casual to covenantal. Today, you can take a decision now to make a new stance and a new commitment to your purity. It's not too late to repent. It's not too late to humble yourself. It's not too late to work on your marriage. It's not too late to confess something to your spouse. It's not too late. There's still time. It's not too late to invite God into the area of your life where some of you I know because of what has been done to you, what you have done has caused death to come in this area and confusion to come into this area. And what you need to just do is not too late. Allow the Holy Spirit to come in and heal, restore, turn the light on, clean out the house, straight, do what only he can do. It's not too late. God has given us something really, really beautiful called marriage. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. God believes in your marriage and God fights for your marriage. So now we just got to make a decision. And it seems like it's, it's, it, it, it will be one of faith for some of you because it seems like it's so far gone. Your job is just to believe that God can do it. I, I just remember there's a story. Jesus, this guy, is, this, this father's daughter's sick. And so he, asked, he goes to find Jesus to say, will you please come to my house? and heal my daughter, she's sick. Jesus agrees, and on the way there, some stuff happens, and eventually some guys from his home come to them and go, hey, listen, your daughter died. Um, don't bother the master, just, it's over. Jesus just looks at the guy and goes, hey, just believe, just believe. And he keeps walking to the guy's house. <laughs> so the father just follows. 
I think sometimes that's where we're at sometimes with our marriage, where it just seems like it's over, it's dead. People maybe even in your life have said, it's over, it's done. You should call the lawyer, you should do that. Yet I believe sometimes Jesus' words to us is just believe. So you just keep following Jesus and allow him to do what only he can do, which is raise the dead, to heal, to restore, to renew, to rebuild, to strengthen, my God will teach you. They say the Holy Spirit is the one he teaches us in all things. So some of you do don't know how to do it. And in this series, we'll do our best, but you have the Holy Spirit that they, and you have the word of God and through the word of God and the, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, he will actually teach you how to be a husband. He'll teach you how to be a wife. He'll teach you. Let's invite him in. Yeah. You stand with me this morning. You can close, if you don't mind, close your eyes. I'd love to pray with you. And I'm gonna make one invitation. Hey, and if you're here with your spouse, let's, why don't you grab their hand? As I was thinking about how I wanted to end this time together and how I wanted us to pray, there's a lot of things that we need to do. And in this series, there's gonna be some really cool things we're gonna talk about, how to prioritize your marriage, how does that look, how to live on mission together, all kinds of good stuff. But... I think the first step is, man, we got to see marriage the way God sees it. So I have a verse for you. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. This is the New Living Translation. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. There is a lot of culture that, would, that leans and causes sometimes to want to copy that. And we have felt the consequences of that relationship, of that approach. And God says, I want to change you to a different person, to a different husband, a different wife, a different young person. Who's, and I'm going to do it by changing the way you think. And I love the verse that says, because let God transform you by changing the way you think. Here's the thing, because you think the way you think. So the prayer here, what I want to pray over you is God change the way we think. And where I would love you to have your heart posture in this moment is to just be open for the Holy Spirit to come and do that. Like admit it, like I admit, like God, I, this is what I see, this is what I want, this is what I desire, but God, you can change my desires. God, you can change my mind. So God, I invite you in. Like that's the posture we're talking about. It's one of surrender. And it's in the surrender where you find freedom. So whether you are married you're on, a, on your second marriage, whether you are divorced, whether you are single, whatever it is, we're gonna pray that God would begin to change the way you think, the way you see yourself, the way you see your marriage, the way you see your purity, your holiness, the way you see your life. Because the way you see things will dictate how you treat it. And right now, the Holy Spirit's going to, um, he's going to show some of you yeah, it's some of you, he holds you in high honor. He sees you as special and set apart. But you don't. And that's why you've allowed what you've allowed to happen to you and why you 
treat yourself the way you treat yourself, but it's not going to happen anymore because you're going to, right now in the name of Jesus, you're going to see yourself the way God sees you. You're not paper plate. You're not a mistake. You're not used up. You're special. You're set apart. And God can do a Genesis week in your life. Change and work all things together for, your, for his good, for your good. So right now, Holy Spirit, here we are. I ask, God, change the way we think. God, forgive us if we try to copy the behaviors and customs of the culture around us. Father, forgive us if we've allowed ungodly thoughts and ideas and strategies to enter into our thoughts, our marriage, our lives. Holy Spirit, forgive us for offending you. Forgive us for not protecting what is very valuable and holy. But Holy Spirit, now come with your loving grace, truth, and fill our hearts and our minds right now in Jesus' name. Change the way we think. Change the way we see ourselves. Change the way we see our spouse. Change the way we see about that relationship. God, change it right now. I pray strength right now into these marriages. I pray a supernatural bonding taking place right now. God, as the couples that are here holding hands together in that same ceremony where the priests would bind their hands together, I pray a rebinding that would begin to happen right now in Jesus' name. A recommitment that would begin to happen right now in Jesus' name. Wounds that have been inflicted right now are going to be healed in Jesus' name. Healing to marriages right now. Holy Spirit, heal right now. Restore, renew. God, rebuild. Rebuild the walls. Pull out the weeds. Right now, in Jesus' name. Spirit. God, I thank you this right here in this moment. It's not just an emotional moment right here. Something sovereign is happening right now in the spirit realm. Come on, you're just, as you're holding your spouse's hand, just be in this moment rest in it. Let him speak to you. He's going to tell you things right now that I'm not going to say. I don't know your situation, but the Holy Spirit does. He's going to teach you right now. So if you're married, just let him speak to you. invitation and uh, we I said this earlier God desires a covenantal relationship with us that's the relationship he wants God doesn't want a casual relationship with you God does not want a, a contractual one with you God wants covenant 
But in order to be a covenant, there had to be a shedding of blood. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to the earth as a, as a man, but as God. And he lived a perfect life. And he was crucified and his blood was shed on a cross so that you and I, now because of that debt was paid, you and I can enter into a covenant relationship with, with God. And the Bible says the way you enter into this covenant relationship is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.